All right. Well, hello. hello. My name is Josh Walters. I'm the campus pastor here at the Mount Pleasant campus, one of the teaching pastors here at Seacoast, and we are so excited that you're here to worship with us this weekend. I want to welcome you if you're joining us online or in the chapel at an off-site campus, wherever you happen to be, we are excited that you are here as well. For the last few weeks, we've been in a series called I Have Decided, where we've been looking at a number of critical decisions that could easily or often go overlooked that could not only radically impact the year that you have, but the life that you experience within it. How many of you would agree that the direction of your life tomorrow is determined largely by the decisions that you make today? If you want to feel fresh, have energy tomorrow, then you staying up late or out past midnight and having to get up in the morning early probably ain't going to help. If you want to get a promotion at the office, you showing up late, unprepared, looking like a hot mess, probably is not going to help your cause. The decisions that we make today help lay a foundation for, help establish the life that we experience tomorrow. It's been an exciting series because over the last few weeks, thousands of us here at Seacoast have been fasting, uh, setting aside something that we delight in, whether it's some kind of food or social media, any number of things for the sake of strengthening our faith, feeding our souls. We've been meeting here at the Mount Pleasant campus at 6 a.m. every weekday morning, a lot of different people to gather and pray, and I'm going to tell you now, it feels like a punch in the face, getting up to meet up here at pray at 6 in the morning. Please, God, Lord Jesus, let me stay awake as I pray <laughs> for an hour. But it's been awesome. It's been awesome. I'm excited to see what God does. I feel like as a church, we've done our best to posture ourselves to say, God, we need you. Would you do something incredible, more than we could ask or imagine this year? Well, today we're going to look at one last decision that we can make as we wrap up this series. And as we get started, I'm curious, uh, how many of you, surely, you know, it's not you, but how many of you know someone who has wasted a significant amount of time, wasted a lot of energy, uh, lost sleep, lost weight, or maybe gained weight due to worry in their lives. You know anybody like that? A couple folks. Well, this message is going to be very helpful for them. <laughs> so today we're going to look at this one last decision. I have decided to worship instead of worry. I've decided to worship instead of worry. And in thinking about how we can make this message a little more memorable, how you could leave with the points fresh on your mind, I've decided that I'm going to sing the points instead of just speak them. And so it'll be a word with some entertainment for you today. Don't hold your breath. It might not, might not happen. But I'm excited that you're here. Before we get started, I want us to take just a minute and pray for three new churches that are launching this weekend. You know, a portion of every dollar that's given here at Seacoast goes to church planning with the ARC, the Association of Related Churches, of which Pastor Greg is the president of. And there's three new life-giving churches being planted this weekend. First of which is City Chapel at Slaughter Creek in Austin, Texas. How many of you would agree they probably need a life-giving church in Slaughter <laughs> Creek? Yeah. You don't get that name for the pretty scenery. I'm just saying. It's got a story. Connect Community Church in Stamford, Connecticut, and City Light Church in Rochester Mills, Michigan. So if you know anyone in any of those areas, let them know there is a new life-giving church in town. Why don't we uh, take a minute to pray for them, pray for our time together, and we'll get started. God, we thank you so much for the incredible gift of the local church. God, what a phenomenal blessing to come together as a church family and worship you to celebrate who you are and what you've done in our lives to study your word. God, we're grateful for this time together. And we want to start off by saying yes to you, to whatever pages you want to turn in our lives or our story, whatever new life you would want to birth in us, whatever obedience you want to stir up to bring about in our lives. We say yes to you, God. We pray for each of these churches that are planning today. I pray in a very real way it would be as if a light switch has been turned on in their community. That where there are pockets of darkness, that there would be light. 
that men and women that have spent their lives up to this point far from you would enter into a relationship with you. In every way, would you bless their obedience to go and do more than they can ask or imagine. In Jesus' name, amen. So Katie and I got married on December 21st, 2002 in a small little church in downtown Columbia. And shortly after we got married, we moved into a rental property not too far from that little church. And shortly after we got married, I started having these weird stomach issues. Um, stomach would start hurting, I mean like real bad, not just like a belly ache, but I'd be hunched over, moaning, groaning, it kind of spread up to my chest some, and without fail, every time that it came, the nausea and pain was just more than I could handle. I would find myself asleep on our bathroom floor in this rental, uh, which was disgusting, because it was like a 50 or 60 year old house, it probably had 50 or 60 different renters in it, and we had never cleaned it well, and here I am laid up on the bathroom floor, but the tile was so cold that it would somehow ease my pain, distract me, and I would feel better. Well, on one night in particular, the stomach issue came up, and I'd done everything I knew to do and was laid down on that floor 10, 11, 12 o'clock. Usually, I would fall asleep, wake up around 1 or 2, and the pain would be gone. I'd say, oh, praise God, you know, I'd get in bed and sleep the rest of the night. But on this night, midnight, 1 o'clock, pain hadn't gotten better. So I got up, and Katie was in bed. I said, Katie, Katie, we waited too long. We're waiting too long. I need you to take me to the ER. Come on. You know, I, I was sure. It, it wasn't um, if I was going to die. It was when. Death was imminent. This was it. The moment I had feared, you know, my whole life. And so Katie gets out of bed. And what made this particular situation unique is that, uh, or memorable, is that Katie was almost eight months pregnant with our first child. And so she was sleeping in bed wearing running shorts and a sports bra. And she gets out of bed and kind of waddles over. I was like, okay, okay, let me get a shirt. And I said, we don't have time. We don't have time. So I got her hand, pulled her out to the car for sure that the clock was ticking. At some moment now, I was just going to kill over. This was it. We raced through downtown Columbia. Literally, she ran every single light. We get to the ER. I'll never forget, right when we pulled up, there was a security guard standing outside 1 o'clock in the morning having a cigarette. And I fling my car door open. Oh, oh. <laughs> At this point, I knew I couldn't walk. Katie, get a stretcher. Get a wheelchair. <laughs> Something. And the security guard standing there having a cigarette was like, what in the world is happening? You know? And I just remember screaming, help her. Help her. <laughs> you know? So he runs over. He gets me in the wheelchair. They push me inside. And uh, after a little while, they had given me a ton of, of pain meds to pretty much knock me out and ran a series of tests. And after a while, the doctor came in and told me that what they discovered was that I was a weak, weak man and that, uh, <laughs> that I had a bellyache and uh, it was causing reflux and my esophagus was spasming and that it would all be better if I took a couple Tums. <laughs> I was like, wow, isn't that encouraging? They sent me home. Yeah, it's pretty special. Now, you may have never had your pregnant wife race you to the ER in a sports bra, but how many of you have wasted a significant amount of time, a lot of energy, sleep, finances due to worry in your life? We all have. You know, worry in our life takes on many forms. For some of us, it's rooted in suspicion. You don't have anything to point to, but you just don't feel good about the way things are going. Maybe the friends that your kids have, uh, they don't feel like good news to you. You've seen an attitude creep up in them, uh, some of the decisions that they're making. It's hard for you to know what the end of this road looks like, but you know that right now you just don't feel good about it. Or maybe you're driving up the street in your car, and something's happening with it. The air is not blowing as cold as it's supposed to. The heat's not blowing as warm as it's supposed to. It started making this sound, boom, chicka, boom, chicka, boom, chicka. You're like, baby, you hear that? That is bad. It is not good. It's expensive. 
I know it's expensive, you know. You don't know what it is. It's just suspicion, but you're worried about it. For some of us, our worry is rooted in facts. Maybe you just received a diagnosis of some kind, and it doesn't look good. There's a chance that things are going to work out, but there's also a chance that they won't. And man, in every moment of the day, it seems to consume your thoughts. What's going to happen to me? What am I going to do? Or maybe you went into work one day and found out that your, your company had, had downsized and your position or your office was one of the ones they were doing away with. And because of your age or education or experience or the market that you're in, finding another job, especially that salary, is just going to be difficult. You're thinking, man, what am I going to do? Well, regardless of the, the source of your worry, whatever it's rooted in, the Bible speaks to it in the same way. In Matthew 6, there on your outlines, it says this. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry. Will you say that phrase with me? Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Philippians 4, 6 goes on to say something similar. It says, do not be anxious. Will you say that with me? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now, as someone whose who's default was worry, uh, these verses were maddening. It felt like taking a middle school girl to a horror movie and saying, hey, stop it with all the screaming, all the scary stuff. That's aggravating, you know? Or sending me out to do yard work in the middle of the summer. Then coming out a little while later and saying, hey, Walters, what's up with all the sweating, man? That's gross. Stop that. You know? Do not be anxious about anything. Don't worry about your life. You think I just chose to be laid up on this old nasty bathroom floor, you know, dealing with my stress and worry? Man, it just seemed to come over me. I never chose to enter into it. But in processing my own worry, I felt like what God was telling me was there on your outline. I was not made for worry. I was made for worship. See, he wasn't asking me to do something that's so super spiritual or so far-fetched that I couldn't accomplish it, but he was inviting me to look at my life from a different perspective. See, worry is rooted in doubt and insecurity and fear and in self. Doubt, insecurity, fear, and self. While worship, on the other hand, is rooted in confidence and security in love and in God. When I, when I worry, I ask questions like, what's going to happen to me? Uh, wh what are we going to do? What are people going to think about me? Are things ever going to be the same again? If worry was a country song, it'd be that, uh, I want to talk about me, talk about I, talk about number one, me, my, oh, my. You know that song? <laughs> Sorry if you don't like country. We'll sing some Pitbull in a minute. You know? <laughs> but when we worship... When we see things from God's perspective, it changes everything about ours. Because instead of being focused on who I am and what I'm capable of, I focus on God and who he is and what he's capable of. Instead of having to face my limitations, I'm reminded that he is a God that can do immeasurably more than I could ask or imagine. That he is my creator, the author and giver of life, that he's with me, that he'll never leave me nor forsake me, and there is no season or struggle that I'm ever going to walk through where he is not bigger or greater or worthy to be worshipped. 
See, the reality is that worry is a pattern of this world, a consequence of sin that we've walked in for a long time. But the Bible tells us it does not have to be that way. Romans 12, 2 there on your outline says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. There's a passage in Matthew chapter 6, or in Mark chapter 12, actually. It might be in Matthew 6, too. You can look that up on your own. But it's in Mark chapter 12 that was first mentioned in Deuteronomy 6, 5, after the giving of the Ten Commandments. And the passage doesn't use the word worship anywhere in it, but in every way, it captures the heart of a worshiper. It says this, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. So if we're going to make this decision, if we're going to decide to worship instead of worry this year, what would that look like? And man, there are some great truths for us here in this passage. Number one, there on your outline, I can express my affection to God. I can worship instead of worry when I express my affection to God. Jesus said it this way, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul. There's a question there for you on your outline to help you process this. It's what do I love the most? What do I love the most? What are the things in your life that maybe put a smile on your face when there wasn't one just moments before? Or the things that are life-giving and and energizing, the things that you really look forward to? What are the things that you love? For me, I love building things, renovating things, uh, the idea of making old things new. And uh, as a pastor, I also love people, and I love seeing them step into new life. So obviously, Extreme Makeover Home Edition was created for me. You know, so I watched that show. Something about seeing a good family in a tight spot be sent away on their dream vacation while all of their friends and family come and build them a new home, only to see them come home and Ty Pennington say, Move that bus. Then they film the family's responses in every single episode. I'm on the couch with Katie, like, (laughs) 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 I can't, I'm undone. Just a hot mess, crying, nose run, the whole deal. It's just incredible. I love it. Seeing people step into hope and newness of life to opportunity and carpentry stuff is just awesome. So what is it for you? What is it that you love? Is it a possession? Maybe it's a person. Katie is the same way for me. Man, there are days where I just want to be closer to her. Something about being near her, being in her presence does something inside of me that nothing else really compares to. I'll be getting ready to leave the house in the morning and go around telling the kids bye, and she'll walk out of our room and whatever she's wearing that day. And I'm like, my Lord, how you expect me to go to work, leave this thing at the house, you know? <laughs> Beautiful woman. I got, a, I got a smartphone, and I'm a smart dude. I'm going to take a picture, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> take it with me. See this later. It's just remarkable. She loves Jesus, that God would have created her for me. I'm telling you, it's just ridiculous. What is it that you love the most? Answering that question is helpful because what Jesus is saying here is for us to love God with all of our heart and all of our soul, that the things of this world that we love should pale in comparison to our love for God. That in loving him, it shouldn't be in addition to the things that we treasure or the things that that matter most, but that we should love him in such a way that there's a certainty in our soul that he is the prize. That whether it's on Tuesday at work or on Sunday here as we gather as a church family, that his praise would always be on our lips. Jesus said it's from an overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. 
that when we sing about his goodness or his grace, his amazing love for us, it would be as if one of the worship leaders were up on stage screaming, move that bus, you know, that, that it stirs up emotion in you. It brings tears to your eyes, puts a smile on your face, that it elicits a response in you that may not have been there just moments before because it touches your heart. So how do you do that? If you think about the things that you love the most, how do you grow in, in showing your affections to God? How do you grow in loving him with all of your heart and all of your soul? Jesus said it this way. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the easiest way to do it, easiest place to start is by looking at your calendar and your checkbook. Because what you give your time to, what you give your treasures to, your heart will soon follow. I mean, that's an uncomfortable conversation. Because a lot of us want to know, but do we really want to know? Katie's been asking me for a while to come home for lunch during the workday. And uh, I'm just kind of like a one-track mind dude. When I'm at work, I work. And when I go home, I'm a husband and a dad. But being a husband and a dad while I'm at work, man, sometimes dude just struggles with that. That sounds confusing already, doesn't it? And so I told her, I was like, I'm going to love this girl well. You want me to come home for lunch? I'm coming home. I'm going to make a sandwich, some macaroni. We're going to eat lunch together at the house. You know? And uh, she was like, all right, when? When are you going to do it? And then she got out her calendar. And I was like, whoa, I, I'm going to work on it. I don't, let's not put a date on the calendar. You know? I don't know what the week's going to look like. You know? But for all of us, if we're going to love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, man, put some time on the calendar. Start giving your treasure to the Lord and your heart will follow. So I can worship instead of worry when I, number one, express my affection to God. Number two there on your outlines is when I fix my thoughts on God. Jesus said it this way, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. Helpful question there to process that is, what do I think about the most? When you're driving to work in the morning, when you're driving home at the end of the day, maybe when your head hits the pillow at night, what are the thoughts that are knocking around in your mind? Based on research, neuroscientists have discovered that the average person has somewhere between 60 and 80,000 thoughts a day many of which you initiate on your own, uh, some of which are brought about because of something that's presented to you, family, friends, work, issues, trees, birds, whatever it is, um, and, and you have a thought to respond to them. But with many of those thoughts, we're presented with a decision. Am I going to decide how I respond, or am I going to allow my feelings to be in the driver's seat here? A couple weeks ago, we were uh, having dinner, and Abel is our oldest son, a comedian and a tender-hearted kid, he entered into this like theatrical monologue out of nowhere. He said, my name is Abel. You gave me this name. What does it mean? You know? <laughs> and so we all start laughing and he was kind of feeding off of our laughing at him. So he started doing it for everybody in the family. Your name is Asher. You break all my toys. And you never wear pants, you know. <laughs> so we're just rolling. He was having a hard time keeping the train on the tracks between being hilarious and hurtful. So we'd have to say, no, 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 don't say that. Come on, you were doing good. But right before we finished, he did another one for me. And he said, uh, he said you are my dad. You yell at me and you tell me what to do, you know. <laughs> and I kind of laughed. And then as soon as he finished, I said, stop it. Don't do that again, you know. I snatched him up, tickled him, went and threw him in bed and tucked him in and I didn't let it beat me up, but I did let it motivate me because I, I know none of us are perfect and I believe that I, I love Abel well. But of all of the things that he's going to grow up saying to be true of his dad, I don't want you yell at me 
to be one of the things that he talks about the most. So I made a decision that day that I wasn't going to allow my emotions to be in the driver's seat. That for me to love the Lord with all of my mind means that I have a say as to what goes on between my ears. Normally, I'm a pretty gracious guy. And it goes something like grace, grace, grace. I'm done. I'm done. Stop it. You know, remarkably similar to duck, 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 goose, right? The chase is on and I will win. You're going down. And so, uh, so what I've started to do lately to try to retool that in my mind to, to take my thoughts captive is that when I get worked up, you know, grace, 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 typically the point where I would say, I'm done. I'll say, Abel, I will not yell at you. And kids are like, oh, okay. You know, like, what do I do then? This is weird, you know? But I'm trying to teach myself to respond differently, that I don't have to respond that way. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says this, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. For us to love God with all of our minds means that we just don't have to ignore the thoughts that are going on in our head. It would be like somebody coming over the house and you pretending they're not there in the room with you, you know, but actually taking them captive. The best picture I have of this is a couple years ago, Nate Davis, who's on the worship team here at the Mount Pleasant campus, used to work on a farm. They had hundreds of chickens, and periodically they'd have to capture 40 or 50 of them and send them off to the processor. And it sounded like a, an interesting thing to watch and be a part of. And so I said, hey, let me know the next time you're doing that. I'd love to come help you. And so he called me, let me know, and I showed up like I was going to war. You know, I didn't know if they, like, attack you in this process or how it works. And so he walks out in the pasture like the super nanny of chickens, you know, just all gingerly and swoops down and picks up six of them. I was like, wow, it was phenomenal. You know, how in the world did you do that? And so I pick out one and I'm chasing it around the pasture, you know. I think I finally caught it, but it didn't need to go to no processor. I think I killed it, you know, trying to, <laughs> trying to catch it up. But it's the best picture of me of, for me of taking our thoughts captive. That we don't just pretend we didn't have them. We don't just dismiss them and think about something else. But with determination and focus, we go after them capture them, put them in the crate, and send them off to be killed. If we're going to love God with all of our minds, then we have to think about the stuff that goes on in our heads. Because ultimately, what goes in is what's going to come out. But we can take those thoughts captive, make them obedience to Christ, and worship Him with all of our minds. A couple weeks ago, I was leaving church, and there was this Pitbull song. Y'all know, I told you we were going to sing some Pitbull. You can get excited now. And, uh, and you've probably, I've heard it on the radio, commercials, and the chorus of it says, it's going down. I'm yelling timber. You heard that song? Yeah. Don't ever sing it. <laughs> and so I had heard it on the radio. I'd started singing it when it was time to go or something. If it was cleaning day with Team Walters at the house, I'd scream, it's going down. I'm yelling timber. Get down here. You know, I'd used it in my life. We're walking out of church, and a guy says, hey, do you know what that, that song's about? like, ah, lumberjacks, I don't know. You know. I just picked up the <laughs> chorus, and there was like a second or third grader walking with us, and he quoted a couple of the words from the song. I thought, oh my gosh, don't ever say that again. You know, and please, God, don't tell anybody you had this conversation with Pastor Josh. You know, I'm never singing it again. But it was remarkable to me. If I can hear and so naturally begin to use language like that in part of my everyday life and totally miss out on the meaning of the song, how much more likely is it that I could stand here on a Sunday morning and sing words about the God who saved me, who rescued me, who redeemed me, and yet not let those words take root, take anchor in my soul. It's easy for us to not worship God with all of our minds, as great as our love for him might be just because of all of the other stuff going on in there. 
So if we're going to worship instead of worry, we have to express our affection to God. Fix our thoughts on God. And number three, use my abilities for God. Jesus said it this way, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. With all of your strength. A great question to kind of help process that is, what do I do most? What do you give the majority of your time to? What do you give yourself fully to? That when you finish it, man, you're just, you're spent. For a lot of us, the the answer here has something to do with work. You get up early and head to the office. You stay a little later than you would like. Maybe you bring it home with you at the end of the day on your phone. You can't help but kind of pick it up over the course of the weekend. For some of you ladies, maybe the things that, that comes to mind is running this house. Taking these kids all over the place. Cleaning up after my husband. I wish the pastor would preach on picking up your shoes. We're working on it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Whatever the case, what is the thing that you give the majority of your time to? What would it look like for you to love God with all of your strength? To use your abilities for him. Two thoughts for us. The first of which is to do everything as unto the Lord. Everything. Whether you are a teacher, whether you work with children or adults or in medicine, if you're a scientist or a trash man or whatever it is that you do, do everything as unto the Lord. Colossians 3.23 says it this way. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. So whatever it is that you put your hands to, Work at it as though your annual review at the end of the year was going to be done by God himself. That's your work ethic, that the passion and positivity, the attitude that you bring, that, that the end product, whatever it is that you produce, may it be in the workplace or at, at home, will be of such quality and value that people would look at it and say, man, there's just something different about her. We honor God. We worship him with all of our strength when we do everything as unto the Lord. Number two is that we can give my best to the Lord. Give my best to the Lord. To love him with all of our strength makes me question, well, what are your strengths? What are the things that you are just naturally good at? The things that maybe other people affirm or celebrate. You maybe don't even pick up on the fact that you're good at it. What would it look like for you to use those strengths to give your best to the Lord? Hundreds of people do that every single weekend across all of our campuses here at Seaco, serving in so many different ways. But when we bring our best to God, when we allow our strengths and our gifts to be used by him, he does more in and through them than we can ask or imagine. So I can worship instead of worry this year when I express my affection to God, when I fix my thoughts on God, and number three, when I use my abilities for God. As we close, I'm reminded of a story in Acts chapter 16 about Paul and Silas. They had visited uh, the Roman colony of Philippi, and they had been wrongly accused by some locals and taken before the magistrates. And the magistrate ordered for them to be severely beaten, to be flogged, and thrown into jail. And in Acts 16, 25, we pick up on their response to the circumstances, to the situation that they were in. They had every right to worry. The question, what's going to happen to me? Are we going to get out of here? How do we get out of here? Am I going to die here? And this is what happened. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all of the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights. He rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. 
He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you and your and you will be saved, you and your whole household. Then he spoke to them the word of the Lord and all of those in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately all his household were baptized. I'm certain at some point in this year, you're going to find yourself in a situation similar to that of Paul and Silas. Maybe not severely beaten and flogged or thrown in jail, but to where you're asking yourself in the truest sense, what is going to happen to me? What do I do here? How do I handle this? And if you will decide now for tomorrow, decide now for later this month or this year that you will worship instead of worry. God will allow you to rise up above your circumstances and see things from his perspective. And maybe, just maybe, in the midst of the mess, people will look at you much like this jailer did and not just say, man, he handles worry different than I do. But say, sir, what must I do to be saved? How can I get me some of that? Worry is something that burdens everyone. Those who walk with the Lord and those who are far from him. But all of the world is looking to see how those who walk with God handle it in their lives. Church, I would encourage you, when those moments come this year, make the decision that you will worship instead of worry. It may well lead to the salvation and baptism of many. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this time together. And we thank you, Lord, that your word does not return void. God, I pray for many today that a page will be turned in our stories. There will be a line in the sand. For the longest time, worry has been such a natural response for me in life. Questioning what I'm going to do, what I'm capable of, instead of turning to you in worship. So today, God, we acknowledge it as sin. As a church family before you, you tell me, do not worry. Do not be anxious about anything. So today we see you, God, for who you are. A loving father, a faithful friend who's always with us that will never leave us nor forsake us, that has a purpose for every trial we walk through. And we worship you, God. As we enter into response time, we ask that you'd be present with us, whatever you would want to do in us or through us. In Jesus' name, amen.